Hey, everybody. My name is Mike Burnett, and this is my wife, Stephanie. Uh, we pastor Life Point Church in Clarksville, Tennessee, and uh, we've been there eight years. I'll tell you a bit about my story as I uh, introduce our speaker today. She's the legendary Katie Hodges, um, but you'll hear from her for all of this, and I just get to be your host today, so I'll introduce uh, her, and then also I'll help facilitate Q&A. Okay, so you're in a session on how to build a life-giving culture. How many of you are church planners? How many of you are on staff at a church? How many of you hate church? <laughs> one guy. Okay, just checking. We're glad you're here. Uh, well, let me pray over us, and then I'll uh, introduce uh, a little bit about our backstory with what you're going to hear today, and then we'll have Katie come up. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this app. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would inspire us right now, God. We ask that the, the spirit of the living God would just move among us and help us to hear from you exactly what it is that we need to take away. And God, let us not sit in here um, with, with critical minds, but God, with constructive minds. And God, help us to be creative and not constructive, God. I pray that, God, we would be uh, open to hear exactly what you'd have for us. And I pray, God, that some of us would leave here today with an aha moment where, God, you would speak to our heart and say, do exactly that. And, Lord, we just want to leave and, and grow healthy, life-giving churches in our communities. Thank you, God, for calling us to our cities. God, I pray that every leader in this room will just be moved by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, Stephanie and I have been happily married 15 and a half years, and we have four daughters that are 11 and under. And uh, she actually had them. I helped create them. But... Um, <laughs> She raises our girls and home educates our girls as well, so she's really the hero of the two of us. And so uh, we, we've pastored LifePoint Church for uh, eight years this next summer. So we took over a dying church that was a five-year-old church plant, and uh, they had just built a new building, two and a half million in debt, and then the pastor left, and it kind of destroyed the church. And they had Sundays in the 20s or 30s, and, and then we interviewed. I was 30 years old. She was 28. We had two kids, and we went out and interviewed and 52 people voted on us. Two of them said no. God bless them. I don't know who they are, but I hope I don't ever see them again in my life. <laughs> we were elected by 50 people to be the pastors of this church. On our first Sunday a month later, we had 85 people at the church, and we were doing it. 30 years old. We didn't plant. We are uh, revitalizers. That was our calling. And so um, any church planner who says I need money to start a church, I don't believe you, because my first month as a pastor, we were 15000 behind in our bills. So you don't need money. We had less than no money. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> we had terrible money. Two and a half million in debt with 85 people. And two years later, we had doubled every year, and praise God for that. We are in two services, and we had grown to about 350 in two years. And uh, just changing culture and learning that language. Like, culture to me is, is how it feels, right? Everything about the feel and the vibe. And when you walk in, the smell, the, the, the sounds, the vibe of the place. So we were bringing healthy culture. But then uh, somebody invited me to a GROW conference. And I'll be honest, I was done with conferencing. I just wanted to work really hard. I was tired of getting kits at Catalyst, you know what I'm saying? And so I came to GROW. I'd never heard of Highlands. I'd never heard of Chris Hodges. And I heard him give that opening Four Cups talk on the first night of GROW. And God spoke to my heart and said, do everything he tells you. And when it comes to growth track and systems, that's why I'm all in with Grow and why we have gone all in with the growth systems and the culture, and it has absolutely revolutionized our church. And in 15 months, we went from 350 to 1,000, then in two years to 2,000, and last year in 14 months, we grew 2,200 people. We're at 4,200 now in eight years, and it's because of the culture and systems of our church. And that's the kind of stuff you're going to hear today, how to get there, how to do that. And listen, don't try to be fruitful. Just be faithful to a system, faithful to a culture creation, and let God bear fruit. You just learn something that you can be faithful to, and let's do it. That's what God said to me. Do what he says. And so you're going to hear from his niece today, who's the Jedi of the grow cultures and the grow systems. She's the director. She's an LSU grad, right? And now you're working on... 
and uh, also working on her master's at South <laughs> Southeastern University. She works here. Um, her dad is a part of the team here, Denny Hodges. The, they're just amazing. Would you give it up? Katie Hodges, everybody. Come on. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Welcome to the sauna. Y'all feeling good? Golly, it's warm in here. Wow. I'm glad you guys are here. I didn't know if it would be like two of you or five of you, so I'm glad a lot of you are here. I'm going to believe I was your first choice and that your first lab wasn't full. And so uh, I'm really, really excited to be here. And I saw um, Mike and Stephanie earlier, and I said, hey, I think Art got it wrong. Like, I think I'm supposed to host... You guys, and y'all are supposed to speak because obviously they just have an incredible, incredible testimony and just amazing to, to hear and to see what God is doing through their church. And so we love them very much. So I'm really excited about today, and I want to tell you guys kind of what my goal is. And so my goal is to be super practical. I am like cookies on the bottom shelf. Like, I'm going to help you guys grab culture and implement it in the best ways possible. Um, I do teach at our Highlands College. A lot of you guys are going to hear about HC in the next couple of sessions. And so this is stuff that I teach for the college students. And so I've made it just as practical as possible. So that's my goal for us today. And so let's go ahead and just jump in and get started. And I think, I didn't see all the hands, but raise your hand if you're church planting. Church planters. Raise your hand if you're already in full-time ministry. Raise your hand if you're a senior pastor. Okay, great. I think as church planters and church leaders, we all have the same desire. I think the desire that we have in our heart is to reach our communities to advance the kingdom of God, right? And so I think that's what we're all aiming to do. And I, I tell people all the time that planting and growing a church is not for the faint of heart. Can I hear an amen? I think unless you're in it, you don't understand how hard it really can be. And so often, because of what I do for Grow, I help lead Grow here at Highlands. I'm asked, okay, tell me this, like, tell me one ingredient. If I can do one thing to grow a church, what would it be? And I don't think there's one special ingredient that I can give you guys that's like this magical thing you can put in place, and all of a sudden, all the pieces come together. But I do think that a life-giving culture absolutely helps. And I think that you can have a life-giving culture and it can really start making some difference in your church. And I read an article recently. So Pastor Chris encourages us all the time to be readers. And he's like, leaders are learners. And so he's challenging us constantly to look at things. And he really says, don't, it doesn't have to be Christian. Just read business articles, look at things, you know, in the New York Times, look at things on Forbes.com. And so I was doing that recently and I ran across the most interesting article. It was actually on the New York Times, and it was talking about this whole online shopping phenomenon. And I don't know about you guys, but now when I physically go into a store, it feels weird. I'm like, this isn't right. I'm supposed, like, I'm always going to choose Amazon where I can like log on, swipe my order. It comes to my door, and I'm like, I'm done. This is amazing. And so the article was talking about how Walmart is finally catching on to this whole online experience. They're finally understanding that we are becoming an online society, really. And we don't want to walk in stores. So that what they're doing is they're spending millions and millions of dollars to their online experience. Because the hope is, is that they can catch up to what Amazon is doing. So Walmart's like, hey, we're, we're going to be competitors in here. We're going to put in twice as much what Amazon will do. And we're going to rise to the top and kind of dominate this online experience. 
So the article gives all these stats and all these numbers, but the conclusion was fascinating because what the article concluded was is that no matter the amount of money that is poured into this online experience, it's not going to matter because Amazon's culture is healthier than Walmart's. So what they concluded was it's what's happening behind the scenes that's allowing for an amazing experience in public. And so the article was like, good luck, Walmart. Amazon's going to continue to dominate. And I, I go to Walmart. I live right by Walmart, but I use Amazon twice as much. And so in thinking about it in our context as church leaders and churches, I think what that means is it means that the health behind the doors is just as important as the public platforms on a Sunday or just as important as the things we do when people walk into our building. So that's what I want to talk about today. The key verse for this, guys, is Mark 4, 26 through 29. So let me read it to you. I'm old school. I do paper. All my paper friends, where are you at? <laughs> this is what it says. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces the grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And I love this passage of scripture because it's such a beautiful representation of what culture is in our church. So all of you guys have a vision for your church, right? If you're a senior pastor, you have set that vision. All of you guys know the vision of your local church, what it is you're trying to accomplish, right? Okay. And then all of us have systems that allow us to accomplish the vision. So here at Highlands, our vision is we want people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's what we want. We want to fulfill the Great Commission by doing those four things. But we have systems that help us deliver that vision. So if we want people to know God, our system for that is weekend services. If we want people to find freedom, our system that's delivering that vision is small groups. If we want people to discover their purpose, our system is the growth track. And if we want people to make a difference, the system is the dream team. So when you think of culture, think of the seeds as the systems. The seeds are the things that are helping you deliver to your vision. And culture is that soil. So you can plant seeds in an unhealthy soil and nothing is going to grow. So you can have the right systems, you put them in the wrong culture, and you're not going to get the product or the result you're looking for. But the opposite is true. You can have horrible systems or things that are just not working, but your culture is right and the church actually has an opportunity to grow and to reach the loss, which I believe is what we're all trying to accomplish. So today what we're going to do, guys, is we are going to look at seven cultural responsibilities, seven things that all of us can do to make sure that we have a healthy, life-giving culture. You can look at this as this is a healthy culture for our church. This is a healthy culture for me as a leader of a team. You can look at it as a business person. There's many different ways to approach this. But I'm going to give you guys seven things, and underneath each seven, I'm going to give you guys like a practical application. Does that make sense? Okay. Number one. Number one is real shocking. I just want you to brace yourself. <laughs> number one is we are passionately in love with Jesus. We are passionately in love with Jesus. What is so important about this, guys, is I think we have to keep the understanding that the church is not going to grow. 
It's not going to reach the lost based on our skill sets or our abilities or our gifts or our talents. It's just not. We are simply the vehicle which allows the Holy Spirit to move in people's lives. So we have to keep this thought of we are passionately in love with Jesus at the forefront of our mind because we have to remember who we are. And more importantly, we have to remember who he is and what the role we play in all of this, which honestly is a very small part to a bigger thing that God wants to do in people's lives. So if we're going to make sure that we are passionately in love with Jesus, the one thing we have to do, the key here is we have to celebrate changed lives. You have to celebrate changed lives. And we all celebrate what's important, right? Birthdays, anniversaries. My parents just had their 37th wedding anniversary, and they're not big celeb- like they don't do big gifts. And I was like, "Do you want balloons?" And they were like, "No." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." But we all celebrate what matters: birthdays, anniversaries, important dates. Well, church is the same way. So here at Highlands, we celebrate the numbers. We count numbers because to us, every number represents a life. It represents a marriage healed, teenagers off of drugs. It represents a life change. So you have to celebrate changed lives. You have to celebrate what matters. Okay, number two. Number two is we're going to create ministry. We are going to create ministry around people's gifts. We are going to create ministry around people's gifts. And guys, to make this work, the idea of volunteerism, that mentality has to be gone. Because we're not going to be able to fulfill number two if we're looking at those serving in our church as volunteers. So a couple of years ago, I don't know why I thought this would be a good idea, but I thought I would volunteer at Children's Hospital. I don't like kids, and I don't like hospitals. But... (laughs) I thought this was like from the Lord. And my, one of my best friends, Beth Cunningham's in the room and she's our children's pastor. And I remember going to Beth and being like, I'm going to volunteer at children's. And she was like, great. And I was like, no, this is really like, I really think this is the right thing to do. And so it, it lasted a couple months. And then I realized it just wasn't my thing. Um, but the, what happened was I went every single Monday and I, I scanned in, I checked in and you had to wear your scrubs and you had to wear your volunteer badge, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. So I would go to the grocery store after in my scrubs and I like cover up the part of the badge that says volunteer. So you think I was like a real doctor and I'm like, hey, hey, just getting off work, getting off my shift. <laughs> but what I, I did, I was so proud of it. I wore the scrubs all the time. Beth was like, you have to take the scrubs off. Like <laughs> you cannot wear them all the time. But what I did was I would go up to my team leader and I'd be like, hey, I'm here for the day. And she'd be like, awesome. Here's a list of everything you have to do today. Clean these toys. Go babysit with this sweet child in in his room. You know, go run these errands. Because I was volunteering. What they were doing is giving me things they needed me to do. But if we're going to create ministry around people's gifts, that idea has to completely change. Because when someone is living out what they've been created to do, they're fulfilling the deepest parts of who they are. So the way to look at this, guys, is, and is, it, is it our needs, the church's needs, versus their gifts? So where in the spectrum are we sitting? Are we looking at those who want to come serve and say, hey, we've got these needs. We need you to go do this. Or are we saying, hey, what were you created to do? And let us help you get there. So to ensure we create ministry around people's gifts, here's the key, is you have to have a process where people can discover their gifts 
which makes sense. So if you're going to build something around people's gifts, they obviously have to have a way to discover their gifts. And for us, and this is just here at Highlands, we do the growth track. It's a four-step class, easy, simple. They, you guys do it, right? Yeah. It's just so it allows us to have people come into the church who say, I feel called to serve. And we're like, great, let us help you identify why that is. And so you have to have a process where people can discover Okay, number three, seven cultural responsibilities. Number three, we empower people. We are going to empower people. And we heard a lot about that this morning. But when I look at number three, I really think of this is really the responsibilities of the full-time staff. Like this is really more of the internal side of the church. And I've learned I'm on a very, very steep learning curve with leadership I'm sure you guys are like, cannot relate to that at all. <laughs> but I am. My team is growing. I'm in a new place of leadership I've never been before. I've been on staff 12 years, but I've t- and I've been leading growth for six years, but we're in this new phase that I'm just not 100% used to. So I'm on this very, very steep learning curve. But with this one, I've learned that empowerment is all about defining expectations. So if you're going to say, hey, I'm going to empower you, you have to define the expectations. And I think as a young leader, I got the idea of delegating and empowering completely confused. And there's a huge, huge difference. Because delegating says, hey, this is what we need to do. I need you to do it by this time. And this is the process I need you to follow. So, hey, we're going to work on improving the website. I need this content typed out by this date on my desk. Whereas empowering is, I'm going to speak the vision to the direction we're going, and I'm going to trust you to help us get there with all kind of coaching along the way. So tomorrow, and I'm learning all of this really from my dad, who is just, I think, a genius when it comes to leadership, and he's leading an app tomorrow on some of these things. So I really want to encourage you guys to go check it out. But I've been in situations, and maybe you guys have as well, where you've been around a leader who you can tell is kind of afraid to let go. Because the truth is, and we can all say this, empowering really is a risk. It's a huge risk. Because you're like, I'm letting you go. Are you going to do it the way I would do it? Probably not. Or are you going to do it as well as I would do it? Probably not. So what I'm learning, especially with the team I'm leading, and I'm learning this through the culture of Highlands, is that you can lower the risk of empowerment by clear training by clear coaching, by ensuring that they have the DNA and the heart of what it is you're trying to accomplish. The more you can put into someone, the lower the risk is for them not to accomplish the things you're hoping for them to accomplish. So if we're going to ensure that we're going to empower people, here's the key to this. And that is we need to allow the team to challenge the process, not the vision. So the team can challenge the process, but not the vision. So I told you guys here at Highlands, our vision, those four things. And I also said, hey, but here's the systems. Here's the process of how we're having to accomplish that vision. So our vision is for people to find freedom. Well, the process or the system, the deliverable of that vision is small groups. So an all-staff meeting, which Pastor Chris meets with us twice a year, And, well, he meets with us every month, but twice a year it's all staff, and it's just full-time staff. And it's kind of where we dream and plan, and, you know, it's just it's lots of conversation, which is very different than our monthly all-staff meeting. 
And every time we get together, he asks us the same questions. Hey, what can we do better? What needs to improve? Well, I can't raise my hand and be like, I don't feel like people need to find freedom. I think they're fine. Like, who knew? I think it's a waste of time. He's going to be like, all right, we'll talk after this meeting. But what I can do is stand up and say, I don't know that small groups are the, is the best process for people to find freedom. And if I have data, if I have information, if I have statistics and facts to back that up, I've got a case. But the key for empowering people is allow them to challenge the process. Help them help you get better. But the vision is set. So if you're a senior pastor or you're a leader of a department or you're a leader of an area, like I lead GROW, Pastor Chris, Pastor Lane, and myself, the mission statement has been set. My team cannot challenge that. But they absolutely can get us better in accomplishing the vision. Okay, number four. We are going to focus on systems that work. We are going to focus on systems that work. And measuring effectiveness is really the first step to determine if the systems are really working. Because you have to have something in place to understand if what you're doing is effective and if it's healthy. Because remember, numbers are indicators of health. So you have to have something in place to say, hey, we're trying to baptize more people every month. That happened. Or, hey, we're trying to move the ball down the field in this direction. And these numbers are supporting that we're heading in the right, the right direction. So if we're going to make sure that we focus on systems that work, the key here, the little nugget, is that we have to get better. You have to get better. Because the truth is, is if we're not getting better, then we quickly become critics of those who are. And that's just, that's hard. And I think what I've learned, too, is that if I'm not getting better and some, someone around me is, the spirit of comparison just completely seeps into me. And I have learned in my very young years and short time in ministry that comparison is the thief of everything, especially progress. It will rob you. It will shortchange you. It will lie to you. My youth pastor, Mike Heyman, is here, and he is the senior pastor of Healing Place. When I went to Healing Place, Pastor Dino was the senior pastor, and Mike was my youth pastor. And it's so funny. Have you guys ever been in a moment where you felt like it was just an ordinary moment, but the Holy Spirit whispered something through someone and it stuck with you your whole life? So I had that moment with with Mike. Um, I was probably 13 years old, and I don't even remember what he was preaching on. But he said this statement, and this statement has just completely resonated with me. And he said that when the the enemy whispers a lie in your ear, your silence becomes your agreement. And I think about that all the time when I think about the spirit of comparison, or I think about the spirit of, okay, they're doing it better than I am. Because the truth is, if we're all getting better, I don't care who's also getting better as long as we're running the same race. Like, I don't care if, I don't care if, Mike's getting better at the same time than I am because we're getting there together. And so if we are going to get better, then we have to make sure that our systems are working and that we ourselves as leaders are getting better. So I love the story of True Kathy. How many of you guys love Chick-fil-A? Okay, what is it about Sundays? Every, I'm, I'm telling you, they close it on Sunday, so we all go there on Monday. Like I crave it on Sundays more than any other day of the week. It's crazy. 
But I love this story, and Pastor Chris told this story once, and I wrote it down. But he told the story of True Cathy, who's the founder of Chick-fil-A. And his disposition was really, he was kind of just a, kind of a quiet, very graceful, just kind of reserved leader. And in the very beginning of Chick-fil-A, he had this board meeting, and all these guys were sitting around the table, and they were just arguing, like just full-on just fighting about what to do about launching new Chick-fil-A locations. So he just kind of sat back and was just listening to them, and they were going on like hours just arguing about where to launch, what city, what should we do. And finally he had enough, and he slammed his hand on the table, and the room just got silent. And he said this statement that I think is so powerful, and he said, don't worry about making it bigger, just make it better. Because if you can make it better, it will naturally get bigger. And that is truth. I'll say it again. Don't worry about making it bigger. Just make it better. Because if you can make it better, it will naturally get bigger. And I think that's so true. I think whether you look at culture, the growth of a church, your capacity as a leader, whatever situation you're putting this in, I think all the Lord's asking us to do is to work towards getting better, and he will do the rest. Okay, number five. Number five is we have fun. That is a cultural responsibility, is that we have fun. And I think when I teach this to the college, this is what I always tell them. And that is that church isn't meant to be endured. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be enjoyed. And when Sundays are over and people are walking out of our buildings, they are thinking two things. One of two things. They are thinking, thank God it's over. Or they're thinking, I can't believe it's over already. The second one is better. Like, we want everyone to walk out and feel like that was a breath of fresh air. I cannot wait to come back. And I've taken this principle and this thought, and I've really tried to apply it to my team. I'm like, okay, when I have team meetings, does my team walk out of my office and think, that was amazing. I can't wait till I connect with her again. Or they like, get me out of here. I never want to see her again. Like, what are they thinking? So we have to have fun. And I love what John 15, 11 says. It's just such a beautiful reminder It says, these things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And I love that. So to ensure we have fun, the key for this, and there's many things you can do with this, but I think maybe the most important key is to have a spirit of generosity. Have a spirit of generosity. And I believe just through working with Grow and working with amazing pastors is knowing that my favorite thing that churches do is they give things away for free. They're like, it already belongs to you, take it. And I love that spirit of generosity. And I was studying this and the Holy Spirit told me this and I wanted to share it with you. And this is what I heard from the Lord, which is the spirit at which we freely give things away will define the culture at which people freely give to the vision. So the spirit at which we freely give things away the spirit of, hey, it's yours, hey, take it, we don't want anything in return, is going to define the culture of which people can give into the vision. 
So if we're going to have fun, if that's going to be a cultural responsibility that we own, we have to create a spirit of generosity within our teams, within our church, within our leadership, any ways you can do that, make it happen. And I'm finding small ways to do this, guys. Like I'm finding really simple, like practical. One of the things is I have a working mom on my team whose husband is also on staff. And I knew when I hired her, like scheduling would be really challenging. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I hear they're a full-time job. I don't know. (laughs) Honestly, they can seem completely overwhelming to me and they're very permanent and full-time and that just scares me. (laughs) And so (laughs) it just is very overwhelming. They, I mean, I'm 35 and I moved back in with my parents for a few weeks. I mean, we're just like boomerangs. We just come right back. So you're never really done with us. And so I knew when I hired Christy, this was going to be a possibility of her needing to have some moments where she needed to be a mom above needing to be an employee. She needed to be a mom above doing the things she did for Grow. And so in the last couple of months, her husband's been hired in a high position at Highlands College, and their world has totally flipped upside down. I mean, like their schedules are crazy. Their kids are now in sports. I mean, they're just in this busy season. And Christy came to me recently and said, I am, I'm drowning. She was like, I just, I can't do this. And my fear was if she burns out, then what if I lose her? And she's so valuable to me and so valuable to my team. So we worked it out where she works from home one day a week and it's completely changed things. And that for me, I was trying to think of, okay, how can I be generous to her? Because giving her that I'm getting back more in return. And I think that's what the spirit of generosity does. You plant something, but you get so much more in return. Yeah, sure. The spirit at which we freely give things away will define the culture at which people freely give to the vision. Okay, number six. We love people. (laughs) So simple, yet so profound. We love people. When I talk to Highlands College about this, um, I say, you know, the reason the church exists is for people. It's not for social media followers. It's not for a platform. It's not for a book. It's not for anything else. And they look at me like I have 18 heads. And I'm like, I know this is a foreign concept, but it's so true that the church exists for people. So if we're going to love people, the practical piece to this is we must create a high-touch environment. We must create a high-touch environment. And I think a really simple, easy way to make sure this happens is, and this is what we do on staff here, is we use the 2020 rule. Have you guys heard of this? So the 2020 rule is we are meeting people, shaking hands, hanging out 20 minutes before service and 20 minutes after service. So we're there. We're hanging out. We're getting to know people. About a couple of years ago, our staff's different now, but all of us worked on Sundays. The whole staff worked on Sundays. And now it's different. Like, I work Monday to Friday now because I need to work when you guys are working, when churches are working, and Sundays, y'all are running church. So my team moved to Monday to Friday. But I'll never forget when we all worked on Sundays, we had an all-staff meeting, and Pastor Chris said, what do you guys think Sundays are for? And I was like, this is a trick question. I am not answering. I am not answering this question. So I just sat there, and I was like, mm-hmm. Jesus? Like, what do you say? <laughs> I don't know. And he, I know, I'm like, Jesus, it's the answer to everything. But he was, which it is. 
But he was like, Sundays are for people. He was like, this building is open five days a week and it's empty five days a week. Then the one day it's open and has people in it, y'all are in your office working. Stop. So we're not even allowed to go upstairs in our offices on Sunday. So if you work on Sunday, I can't be behind my computer sending emails. I can't, we don't schedule meetings. And that was a huge culture shift for us, honestly, because Sundays, you guys know this, everyone else around you is distracted, so you can get so much done in your office. But for us, he was like, we're going to do this 2020 rule, and you're going to be with the people, and you're going to shake hands, and you're going to love on Dream Team. That's what Sundays are about. Okay, number seven. Number seven is we are more concerned with reaching people. We are more concerned with reaching people than keeping people. We are more concerned with reaching people than keeping people. And I wrote this down. This is directly from PC. But he said once, if you want a church that is about you, a church where you won't have to fight traffic or move to another service time, this isn't the place for you. We exist for those that are not here, but for those that are not here yet. Because the church is not a place for the perfect, but a hospital for the broken. And it wrecked me when he said that. And I think it's just a beautiful reminder of why we really exist. And I think it's that mindset, guys, that really keeps culture so strong. So if we're going to make sure, if we're going to ensure that we're more concerned with reaching people than keeping people, we must remind the church about our purpose. We must remind the congregation, the church, why we even exist. So for us, in our context, we have to remind them, why does Highlands exist? It's not for you. It's for those that aren't here yet. And I think it's with that mindset that you can really, because number seven can be very challenging and hard to do, especially like I'm on the phone with pastors all the time. And they're like, we love this idea, but I don't want to lose anybody in my church. And what I've learned over time and what I've learned with talking with these amazing pastors is that when they do this, somehow when you turn your mindset to be about the lost, when you turn your mindset to be about the people that aren't here yet, God brings you the right people who have the right heart with the right understanding, with the right vision that aligns with yours. So then you can get on a stage when you you have exponential growth and say, hey, guys, I need you to move to another service time. And they're like, great, what do you want us to do? And they're on board with that. So those are seven things I wanted to talk through. But real quick, I'm going to give you guys three extra little nuggets. Because one of the things I've learned about this is that some, everybody's like, this is great. I'm like, awesome. And they're like, where do we go from here? So I'm going to give you guys three things of how to take this life-giving culture and pass it down and even pass it up to the people you're leading. So if you want to take culture and you want to pass it down, the first thing is you have to model it. You must model it. Because the truth is, guys, is that by modeling it, we gain credibility. People can see culture through us, and then they're able to replicate it. Very few of us are able to do something that we haven't seen. Like as a kid, I remember my uncle was like, I'll teach you to ride a bike. And I was like, great. I need, to, need you to ride past me 100 times, and then I'll figure it out. Like I needed him to model how to get on the bike, how to push the pedals, how to not crash. And then that gave me the confidence to do that. And Pastor Brian Houston says this, and I love it. He said, to model culture, you must first be culture. 
So to model it, you must first be it. So I think when we look at this list of seven things, like for me, I look at it and think, okay, where am I going to start with my team? Like, where do I even begin? The Lord is just like, just do it. Just let it be in you, and then it'll resonate through them. So you have to model it. The second thing is you have to define it. You must define it. Because it's by defining it that we provide clarity. And clarity just releases confusion. And it sets people up for clear expectations. And I think what I've learned over leading my team is that every time I fail to give expectations, they fail to meet my expectations. So when my team doesn't do something I need them to do or we're not going down the right road or something's off, I'm so quick to be like, y'all, what is going on? But then the Lord's really been teaching me in this season of very steep learning that I need to look at myself and say, okay, what have I not been clear about? What have I not defined for them? What do they need from me that they're not getting from me? Because the one thing I've learned about culture and the one thing I've learned about leadership is that my team will not go to places I won't go myself. They just won't. So if I'm not te- being passionately in love with Jesus, if I'm not empowering them, if I'm not loving people, how can I look at them and say, guys, come on, get on board? It's just, does that make sense? Okay. So for the defining part too, guys, I wanted to share with you guys our staff culture. So PC has given us four things that he has said, hey, as a staff, this is the culture I want you guys to adhere to. So this is what I implement for my team. This is what Beth implements for her team. And as a staff, we do this as well. So there's four things. And first is PC is like, our culture is we love God. Obviously, (laughs) we love God. The second thing is we love people pretty obvious. We love God and we love people. The third is we pursue excellence. We are going to be pursuers of excellence. And the last is we choose joy. So we are going to choose joy. So we love God, love people, pursue excellence, and choose joy. Yeah, and that's staff culture. So obviously, we try to implement that for for the dream team as well. But if he's like, if you want to know if you're winning, if you want to know if you're doing a good job, you need to measure yourself on these four things. So it gives us so much clarity because he's defined it for us. And the third is you have to acknowledge it. We must acknowledge it. I have made, and I'm sure you guys have as well, a lot of mistakes as a leader. I mean, I've looked back over the last couple of years and thought, what was I doing? I'm crazy. And I think one of the greatest mistakes I've made as a leader is that I've waited until we've reached the end goal to celebrate with my team. So what I've done is I've put something in front of them, a goal to attain. I've met with Pastor Chris or I've met with Pastor Lane and they've been like, hey, we need to move in this direction. I'm like, awesome. So I'll go to my team and say, hey, this is what we need to do. And it's a really long-term goal. And I will sit there until we reach that goal. But what I failed to realize was all along the way, there were winning moments. All along the way, there was progress. All along the way, we weren't here. We were here. And even though we weren't all the way over there, we were moving. 
And so one of the things I've learned with acknowledging is you don't have to wait to the finish line to celebrate with your team. We're not all going to get these seven things right every day all the time. But when I see something displayed in my team that I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're really growing in your walk with the Lord or Wow, like I have managers in place now on my team who are leading teams. And I'm like, you're empowering your people. That's amazing. I celebrate. We're not where we should be, but thank God we're not where we were. So I hope this was helpful. We're going to do, was it, was it helpful, guys? Good. Good. We're going to do a little bit of Q&A. Um, so if you guys have questions, and, and Pastor Mike and I are both going to help answer some of those because he's been a great model and a great example of so much of this. You have. This was great. If you have a question, uh, lift your hand. Let me come to you because we are recording this. So we want to capture it on the microphone. First. Awesome. <laughs> Hello. That was so good. Good. <laughs> I have so much notes, but um, I missed one thing and I really okay. wanted to get it. Yeah. And it's uh, um, the things to pass down. I have yes. the first one. You have to model it. Yep. The second one, you said you must define it. Yep. But I didn't get, you, you said. Number three is you must acknowledge it. Well, the second one, you must define it. You said some other things and I didn't get it. Oh. Um, you said by doing this. Yeah, but. Okay. There you go. They got him. I was like, where? It doesn't say that exactly in my notes. So I was like, I don't really know what I said. It's clarity and eliminates confusion. <laughs> eliminates confusion. Great. Um, so one of the things we're trying to do is celebrate the wins more. So what are some practical ways that you guys go about celebrating that with your team? Yeah, that's a great question. So I can tell you how we do it as a whole staff, and then I can tell you how I do it for my team. So for the whole staff, every month, Pastor Chris does a message based on one of the four things I told you about, which is our staff culture. So every month he brings a message on, you know, loving God. The next month will be loving people the next month. So what we do is we celebrate the previous month. So like, for example, in all staff, we just, he spoke on pursuing excellence because you guys were coming. He was like, hey, this is a great month. Start talking about excellence. But we celebrated people who had done an ex like who had gone above and beyond to love people. So as a staff, we get to nominate one another. So whether it's a team we work with, whether it's something we've seen, I get to send in a nomination form and I get to nominate somebody on staff that I feel like has done these things exceptionally well. And our leadership team actually gets all of those nominations and they get to decide because sometimes you get so many, but usually it's three or four people and they get a $150 gift card and it's just a visa gift card. And they're just like, enjoy. And so at all staff, they'll be, we have somebody, we have one of our campus pastors host that moment and they're like, all right, guys, we're going to love people. And they read the nomination form. So the person's getting to hear what the people around them think about them. And then we're like, Hey, Mike Burnett, you've loved people. And then like all these, I know. And yeah. <laughs> And the music plays, and it's just so much fun. So practically, that's how we do it with our staff. With my team, I have a once-a-month team meeting as well, and so I try to highlight something that not an individual has done, but that we have done all together. Because in my smaller environment with my team, I have eight on my team. I want to make sure we're staying in sync, and it's not, oh, I'm highlighting you over you. But, hey, I'm trying to make sure as a team we're heading in the right direction. So I do lunch for them every month, which is just a thank you. Like, hey, we're glad you're, you know, you're amazing. Thank you guys for, for what you do. And then I do some type of highlight from that moment. You. You're welcome. In a smaller environment, too, if your yeah. whole team is volunteers, have yeah. quarterly vision nights. Yeah. 
where you do the same thing. So have them in on a Tuesday night. Feed them. Always feed. Always give it away. Don't ask Always for a special feed. offering. We're big believers Give in it away. Food. And then yeah. same thing. Highlight Good. somebody from every department. This is our quarterly person who just killed it in kids ministry this year, this Good. week, and give them something. There's something about naming them, blessing them, and always give stuff away. Always. That's so good. So I could either pretend like I don't have two people from my church in here as lead pastor, or I could talk about my friend. I have a friend. Uh, Yeah. And and at his church, he struggles with, um, especially being a young uh, church plant and smaller church plant, Um, and just so being a lot more involved in the process, still training up leaders who are incredible, but starting to like, you know, see, okay, well, we need to work with that. And you see that leaders tend to see everything. And that's one of the best parts of uh, training up other leaders is they can see it. So when you're in a position where you might be the person who sees the issues and you want to build a culture of celebration, but you also want to build a culture of excellence and get things better, how do you navigate being the voice of people, going to people going, hey, you're amazing. Also, you need to work on this, 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 and this. That's so good. And so I've learned this from my dad, and that is I never correct, I always coach. Because correction is you've done something wrong, don't do it again. But coaching is, hey, I'm partnering with you to make you better, so let's talk about what those things are. And so what I always do is I celebrate in public and I coach in private. So if I see something and I see something that's happening, I'll say, hey, let's grab 15 minutes. Now, I have consistent meetings with the people I directly lead, but if it's someone outside of that, I always will say, hey, let's meet in private. And it's the conversation of this is what you add to the organization. This is what you add to the church. This is what your serve is doing. Celebrate. Hey, here are some things that I want to help you get better on. And then it's usually a closeout of, hey, here are some really practical next steps of how you can get better and what we just talked about. So that's real, that's real practical. And we also, we celebrate on Sundays and we clean up on Mondays. That's good. Like we don't do that on Sunday. I'm walking through touching folks. You could be vomiting on the floor. And I'm like, girl, that's the best vomiting I've seen (laughs) all week. So part of the celebrate culture too, because you don't have a staff to do this monthly and these kind of at that level. Man, just be be of the mindset that on Sundays, I'm just going to touch everything I can and celebrate it and then clean up on Monday because the urgent takes over the important and it's more important for you to just love on people. Your volunteers, man, just love them. The urgent is not that they're, they blew it. You can fix that later, but like in the gathering on Sunday, especially just celebrate. And I'm all D. How many, do you guys know what you are on the discs test? How many D's? Yeah. So I'm like, I see something. I'm like zoning in on it. I cannot look anywhere. So I've had to really suppress that. (laughs) I've had to really, really suppress it and be like, okay, is this the right moment? Because are they going to receive it in this moment? And, and the answer is no. And then I've learned, I've tried to like coach or correct or, you know, fix things in the moment. And I've needed them to do other things after that. And it completely deflates them for the additional through the rest of the day and I'm like I have completely deflated you we're not going to get anything done so but but what Pastor Mike said is real good the question is when you talked about practical moments of nominating somebody like say example love love people what happens if it's that same person over and over that how do you get out of that yeah I think if it's a smaller team like we used to do it when we I came on staff and I was, I think I was staff number 19 and that, um, 
it, and it was, you know, in that moment, what we did is we really more focused on the team dynamic. So instead of pulling out an individual, we really more said, hey, guys, as a team, this is what we're focusing on loving on people. And here's something I've noticed you really have done well. Or it's looking at like what Pastor Mike said, it's looking at the teams of, hey, kids, this is what I noticed you did really well in this area and dream team or other volunteers. Hey, here's how you can learn from them. So I think it's taking that team mindset more than anything else, rather than the individual person, so to speak. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask, so how would you handle a situation where, and no one from my church is in the room, so, (laughs) but they're not here anyway, but basically you've inherited somebody on a team that's extremely, extremely talented and really consistent, but they're very resistant to change, like completely. And this whole thing of culture, this person's in my head, this whole session, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, if we could just get this one person. So any, like, examples, or how would you handle that? Yeah, and I've been in those situations. I think a lot of you guys are like, yes, because we've all been there. I think the biggest thing when I come into a new environment, and I'm, I have somebody new that's working with me, is I try to learn more more than I talk. I try to listen more than I talk. So I spend the first few months just observing and figuring out their strengths more than anything else and what are the things they contribute to the team. And then I always try to lead with vision. So it's talks of, hey, this is what, this are the amazing things you do. And then, hey, here's the direction I hope I, I want to start moving in. And you have to define the expectations. Like, hey, I know this is new and, and I'm new, and but here here's how I want to help you win. And here are some of the expectations I have for the team. And I hope you can come along with us for that. So it's really a step-by-step process, but so learn their strengths, talk a lot of vision and really define some expectations. And I think the, the mind, the myth of culture is that it's not an expectation. It absolutely can be like for me, I know the expectation of culture I have on my team and I make that very clear. So I think it's all of those things combined. Do you have anything to add? Well, I got tons to add to that well, one. Say it. I just, I'm not going to sacrifice vision for a culture killer. And so I'm going to move them, I'm going to replace them, I'm going to move them on, I'm going to coach them first, I'm going to give them time and, and ask them, like, hey, do you see where we're going? And if they just can't, some people just can't, you know, especially if they're in, a, if they're in an adoption from another, like if you're a new leader. So I, I took over a church that was dying and hurting and people were wounded, and I had those four-hour meetings with guys who were, like, telling me what to do. And, like, this is the way we used to do it, and I don't trust you, I don't believe in you, and I would just say, man, I will, I will see you in heaven. <laughs> I literally said that, didn't I? Maybe not that way. No, I said it. I did. I didn't care. I said, I'll see you in heaven, but I'm going a different way. But that's the D in me. <laughs> and you have to you have to give it enough time, too. It is like time. You have to figure yeah. out. Either they're going to. My dad always says there's two types of people. There are those that, that are unwilling or unable. You have to define what that right. person is. Because the unwilling, see you in heaven. The unable, hey, I can coach you. Yeah. Right. I can make they you got, better. If they're teachable, great. Yeah. But if they're not willing to be te- teachability is the number one quality we look for on our staff. Yep. Number one, teachability. And yep, and so I'd good. rather take a C person who's teachable than an A who's a, just a stubborn mule. Yep. I'm the stubborn one, and I'm trying to be teachable. <laughs> and I, so that's part. Of, we had a question back here first. I'll come back up front. Can I comment on that? Yeah. Uh, no, it's okay. Thank you so much. So mine was very similar to that one um, with regard to adding people to your team is there any 
way that you pre-screen culture in them? Is that something that you infuse as they get? Do you look for talents as you're adding people to your team, or do you look for someone who's more in line with the culture? Are you talking about like like when staff onboarding, or like a dream team, like a like a dream team? It could be especially staff. I think culture is okay. important. But for example, yeah. I lead worship at our yeah in our church and we actually had to revise our vision statement to add flexibility under teachability when it came to culture because like in yeah. worship in any creative environment things shift if anyone you know and you can't if you can't bend to for the better of the vision it is it's really harmful to our team yeah. and so I was just wondering when you know how do you pre-screen in a way as you're adding people onto your team they're culture their alignment is that even possible yeah I think it is possible I think you have to define what are the non-negotiables so when we, even we're looking at dream team and we're thinking about people being on the worship stage or small group leaders we have defined for us what are the non-negotiables so for us you have to be a member of the church for us you have to tithe for us you have to go through the growth track for us you have to sign the honor code those are the non-negotiables because while those things look like task it's really showing you the heart of the person joining your team and so for us that speaks to the culture so if I have someone that wants to join the greeter team and they're like I ain't doing the growth track I'm gonna think okay well obviously our culture and your culture are not lining up so this is probably let me give you a better next step so I think you have to define what are those things that are the non-negotiables and that gives you some flexibility then on the other side of things if that helps hey we inherited an interesting situation where we had a church launch okay. and then inherited another campus that was an existing church. Uh, the pastor had a moral failure. They were in trouble. So we inherited a, 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 an established church. One of the things we've had trouble with, because we've now combined campuses into one, one campus, is we've, you know, of course, blended the group. And, and, of course, the first thing I said was I want to make sure North Campus, East Campus guys are all intermingled on the team so that this thing can mesh. But what do you do when you have a leader that is very passively, aggressively fighting the vision that's from the established church? <laughs> Mike's like, ooh, I've got a really Mike's good Mike's got answer. a lot to say, I can tell. <laughs> no, 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 please. I think, well, and he's... He's obviously going to add some stuff to this, but I think what I would say is I think you that's the moment where I remember John Maxwell was speaking about the same situation. He was like, I inherited a church and had leaders that just absolutely like put the brakes on and they would not move forward. And they weren't as passively aggressive. They were just aggressive. And I remember him talking about the number of meet private meetings he had with them because the, what he wanted to do is you have to find the line of honoring where they've come from and then helping adjust their mindset at the same time and implementing that culture. So I think if they're in a leadership position, that's something to relook at because you have to think about the people on the front lines leading are your representation. And so you have to think about, is that really the best place for them in this season? And so meeting with them and saying, Hey, you've got so many gifts and you add so much and obviously you're having a hard time transitioning and that's completely understandable so for this season why don't you take a season off from serving and why don't you just come be a part of the church and let let who we are get to know you and you get to know us and all that kind of stuff as well so that's probably how I would speak into that situation no I don't mind well I don't want to speak from the back of the room um are you the lead pastor okay so the lead pastor I think needs to speak into this And it's kind of like if I, if, if my wife died and 
I would never remarry because, I mean, come on, how could I? But if I remarried and, um, and, and I remarried with a, a wife with, new, with kids, we have to reestablish a new uh, leadership paradigm in that home, right? So that's kind of what's happened. You've become a blended family, but there has to be a dad. There has to be a father of the house. And so the pastor has to establish, Dino's one of my overseers, Pastor Chris is my pastor, and they both say this kind of same language. Uh, there's, no, there's no question on who establishes vision and culture. It's the lead chair. And, and in that kind of a situation, you can't, you can't bash stepkids into alignment. You invite them into alignment. You, you coach and lead and you vision cast into a new shared future together. That's a really difficult scenario to, to lead. But there can be no question uh, Dino calls it chief culture operator. That's the pastor, right? And uh, I think that you just, the lead guy needs to say, or lead female, lead pastor, has to say, this is where we're headed. And if we don't, I, like, I don't even believe in passive aggressive. That's how much I don't even put up with it. I don't, I don't believe in it. And so if, it's a, if there's a hint of that, we confront Matthew 18. If you have a problem with me, the Bible commands you to come to me. And if you won't, now I have a problem with you, so I'll come to you. You know, I mean, like we just confront it head on. And, uh, and here's the thing. Jesus said the goal of that is to gain your brother. And if after two or three tries they won't, then just let him go. Let it separate. And there's nothing ungodly about that. That's the godly process. Now, if you fight it or you passive aggressively, Peach, get gets it from the platform. There's some folks around here just won't come along with vision. You know, that's, that's crazy, too. It really is a leadership issue, and it's hard, man. It's hard. But, but I always tell when I'm pastoring and, and working with blended families, I say to the married couple, now you're one flesh. Even though you brought stepkids in, you're the priority relationship, and that's how it has to be healthy, right? But you have to, you have to navigate that differently now with a blended family, and I think that's the same going to be true with a blended church. But there's no question as to who gets to set vision and, and, and culture. And at some point, there's got to be a clear discussion man passive aggressive is the worst and the thing is they won't say it to the leader but they'll say it to everybody else and that's the whispering of the devil and what was your quote about when a devil lies when the devil whispers a lie in your ear your silence is your agreement and so for the team not to address that too by the way is a sign of agreements. Dr. King said, you know, to, to be silent in the face of this kind of stuff is to basically condone it. The rest of the team has to stand with the leadership, with the pastor, and go, hey, you need to knock that off. And I'm telling our pastor that you said it. That'll help root some of that stuff out, too. Because you know what? We're after lost people. We're not about drama among church folks. Save the drama for somebody else. I'm sorry, where is where? You? No, I'm coming. I didn't see your hand. Thanks for letting me help out with that. You're welcome. So this isn't a question so much about people who are unwilling to join in the vision, but people who just aren't capable. So like some somebody who was serving as a leader when your church is 150, but can't quite cut it when your church is 700. So how do you how do you release somebody in a life giving way? Not because they're unwilling; they want to serve, but they just don't have the the capacity. In order yeah. to do it. Yeah, I think anytime we face that, and we've, we've been in those places before where it's kind of that mindset of what's, what's gotten you here, so to speak, won't take you to the next place. And so I think those conversations have to be had, but not without next steps. So I think I'd never go up to a leader to say, hey, you've been great. Now that we're growing, you're out. It's been real. 
Obviously, that's not what you can say. But I think what you can do is identify where their strengths are and find another place for them within the within the teams that they're serving on. So for us, for example, like we had we had this sweet person doing parking team forever. Awesome. And he did it at Mountain Brook High School. He was amazing. When we moved here to Grant's Mill, he just couldn't facilitate a larger team and all these different entry points. Literally, he was just like, I'm getting so confused. So we'd have the conversation with him of, hey, you've been amazing and you've served so well. and We're so grateful for what you've done. Hey, this is a new environment. And so um, and you've even expressed to us that you're having some confusion and some challenges. So let us help you identify a better next step for you and a better place to serve. Because the truth is, is that they just want to be a part of what God's doing. They shouldn't be so attached to a role or a position or a title that they're unmovable. And that goes for us as full time staff as well. Like I don't sit at grow and say this is the only thing I'm doing. If PC or Pastor Lane came up to me and were like, congratulations, you're now on the maintenance team. I'm like, put put a paintbrush in my hand or whatever they use I don't know a screwdriver a hammer <laughs> yeah it's probably not the team for me I can I'll do it because I think the culture of that is that we're here to serve and we're here to serve where God's placed us and what's inside of us so I can't be so married to something that I'm unmovable so I think that's where you start having those conversations if we can have one final question sure and then it's four so I want to honor everyone's time, so I want to make this quick. Yeah. Um, I'm the Dream Team Coordinator at uh, my church down in Troy, and uh, I've been doing it less than a year, so I'm still trying to figure it all out because <laughs> um, we didn't have one previously. So it's, it's me, yay, <laughs> and my wife. Thank God for her. But anyway, um, we're trying to cultivate culture and stuff like that and we have these coaches who you know they love us everyone's on board they they think it's great but they turn to us and they're like all right mr coordinator teach me things how do i do this and i'm like mm. <laughs> so um what i what i really think would help is if i can get them to see that while their culture is the same as all of their team members culture that they have to go that step up because they are in that leadership position so if you have any insight into how do you get coaches to take that next step in culture. It's the same, but they go one step further. Yeah, I think it's just, it's it's defining what it is that you see the difference as being. So if the team's culture is this, and you've got coaches, you've got to decide, okay, well, what's the difference maker between the two? So I'll give you guys a really simple, like, you're going to think this is a ridiculous practical example. But my team was on a text thread the other day. Yesterday, actually, my whole team, my whole staff, and some of our interns. And the text thread, it wasn't a big deal, but they were, they were kind of joking about something that, like, my managers were joking about something they shouldn't have been. So I side texted them and said, hey, guys, like, you've got to know your place and you've got to know your environment. And you're basically setting culture for our team that I'm not okay with. Now, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't anything bad, but it wasn't something I wanted my whole team to be in agreement in. So I've had to define in my mind where the lines are, and I do my best to define them. So I'm like, hey, that's not cool. This is a safe – because there, there has to be safe environments for people to – to talk and to just, you know, unwind or whatever, but not within that whole group. You know what I mean? So I think you're going to have to, I know that was like probably a ridiculous example, but um, you have to define where those lines are and you've got to decide what are the, how do you, what are the differences between them and your leaders? And then what are the things you expect out of them and have those conversations? So, yeah. Has this been helpful? Yes. Can we thank Katie Hodges? Come on, everybody. She's awesome. What a great time. Hey, well, uh, I'll say a quick prayer over you and then uh, stick around as long as you can handle the heat if you have other questions, but we'll release you. God bless this, this amazing room of leaders. Thank you, God, for your call. 
your assignment, your anointing on all of our lives. And, and Father, we just we want more and more to grow into what you've called us to be and help us to raise the lid of our own leadership. Help us to raise the lid of our own soul keeping and our own health. And God, help us to uh, steward the leaders and the gifts of people that you've called us to pastor. They're your people. We are the, the assigned pastor, leader, teacher, uh, coach that you've given them. So Lord, help us to, to steward them well and to lead them well into the next season. We pray for every church that's going through conflict or tension. God, that the spirit of the living God would bring resolve and clarity, give wisdom. We ask for wisdom in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, we, we would just want to take the harvest, God. We want to take ground for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for being here.